Jim was covering seven verses last week. I got to cover 24. So, uh, let's see what I can do. Let's see what I can do. John chapter 14. I don't normally give a title to my message, but if I was to give a title to my hey, Ed, what's up, buddy? Did you get my message? Nice, nice. <laughs> um, the title of my message this morning is this, Words of Hope in a Hopeless Hour. Okay, Words of Hope in a Hopeless Hour. Um, uh, one of the verses that James read last week, verse 1 you know, you read that at the very beginning. It starts off, it says, let not your hearts be troubled. In verse 27, the Lord Jesus says it again. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Were the hearts of the disciples troubled? Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus had just told them, right, of his impending death. Right? They had just learned, right, that one of their own was going to betray Jesus into the hands of the enemy. Even Simon Peter has just been notified that he's going to deny Jesus three times before the morning comes. Yes, their hearts were heavy. Heavy with sorrow and burdened with grief and questions. We live, right, in an hour of great uncertainty. Okay? Changes in our world have left many people concerned about their futures. The economy is in shambles. Countries are on the brink of war or already have been at war. People are losing their jobs. Money is tight. For some, times have been hard. And for many, the future is bleak. There are many troubled hearts today. Jesus, I believe, has a word for you. Sandwiched between verses 1 and 27, where he says, let not your hearts be troubled, are much needed words of hope and comfort. Let's uh, read it together. Okay, We're going to just start in verse 1 again. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. and How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him because you have seen me. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words I, that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, 
he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And the Father may be glorified, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Now, I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. The Lord will bless the reading of his word again this morning. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for these much-needed words of hope and comfort. We are certainly living in an hour of great uncertainty, just as your disciples were at that evening. We're so thankful for how applicable these words are to us today. We pray that they would encourage us this morning, that they would comfort us this morning. We pray so that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So, there's two things here in this chapter. One is a little bit of review. Um, we're just going to touch on it really quick. And then the rest of it um, we'll look at here today. But really here, right, the, the, the disciples are living in a, an uncertain hour. Their hearts are troubled. And here the Lord Jesus first, he tells them there is hope for tomorrow. There is hope for tomorrow. And then he even goes on to tell them that there is help for today. There is help for today. And so... When the Lord Jesus here says that there is hope for tomorrow, right? We looked at this last week, but I think it's good to, to reiterate is that one, there is a heavenly home, isn't there? There's a heavenly home. We read that in verse two, that Jesus is preparing a place for us, right? A, a, a house, right? A heavenly home for us. But not only that, right? As far as our hope for tomorrow, but there is also a heavenly hope. 
a heavenly hope. Not only is he preparing a place for us, but he actually promises that he will come back. He will return for his people. But even more astonishing to me is that not only is there this heavenly home and this heavenly hope, but it's going to be a heavenly homecoming. As James mentioned last week, we will be with Jesus. Right? We will be with him. But I want you to notice something else here, which is pretty amazing, right? Is notice as Jesus' reply to Thomas. Remember Thomas's question that, that James spoke about last week? He said, Lord, we don't know the way, right? Um, we don't know where you're going. This is right after Jesus says, hey, I am going to prepare a place for you, right? And he says, well, we don't know, right, where you are going. How can we know the way? Notice Jesus' response here, right? He goes, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to my father's house. He doesn't say that, right? He doesn't say that. He says, no one comes to the Father. To the Father. It's interesting. To me, anyway, at least, is that Christ is not concerned simply to take us to the Father's house when He comes again. Right? The far more important thing is that the Lord will bring us to the Father Himself. Himself. It's almost as if maybe the disciples were concerned with, hey, where is this place? It sounds great. The Father's house. And He says, no, no, listen. It's even better than that. I'm going to bring you to my Father. Hey, right now, you guys are with me, and yes, a father's in me, and I in him, and I'm a, rip, a manifestation of the father, but one day I'm going to bring you to God himself, to the father. You know, when I think about that, right, even today, you can go to some magnificent palaces, right, where kings and emperors once lived, right? You can go through, and you can admire the architecture and maybe all the treasures that may be within these palaces and these places, right? But how much more... Um, meaningful would it be for you to be there when they were actually there, right? Or even how about this, right? Is Let's say someone decides to um, travel to a distant city and upon arriving there, they decide to visit an old friend, right? But when they get to that friend's house, that friend is actually away on a holiday. And so the friend allows them to, hey, listen, you make yourself at home. You can, you know, he gets to walk in and look at his friend's house or wherever they're dwelling right but again it's not as meaningful it's not the same thing as if his friend was there with him i think it's important for us to remember is yes that god is jesus is preparing a place right uh for us but he says i am the way the truth and life no one comes to the father except through me jesus has prepared a, a way for us to actually go to the father we're actually going to be able to see the father one day. And so it is a heavenly homecoming. And so that's our hope for tomorrow, right? Even in an, an hour of uncertainty, right? We have hope for tomorrow. Whatever it is that we're going through. But not only that, the Lord Jesus continues and he says, Listen, there's help in salvation, right? We looked at that in verse six last week, right? Jesus gives us a threefold assurance, right? How can I be saved? Jesus is the way. How can I be sure? Jesus is the truth. Well, how can I be satisfied? Jesus is the life. You know, a pioneer missionary in Africa, he tells how he was taking the gospel to a new tribe far to the north. He arrived at a village, a point where his guide refused to go beyond. The missionary then appealed to the local chief. He says, is there anyone in this village who could act as a guide, right, to the distant northern tribe. The chief summoned a man. He was tall, scarred, and carrying a large axe. 
A bargain was made, and the next morning, the missionary set off through the bush following his new guide. The way became increasingly rough, and the path had all but disappeared. There was an occasional mark uh, blazed in a tree, and occasionally what seemed to look like a path. Um, Finally, the missionary called a halt, and he asked the guide if he was sure he knew the way. The man pulled himself up to his full height, and he says, white man. He said, you see this axe in my hand? He said, you see these scars on my body? He goes, with this axe, I blazed the trail to the tribal village in which we go. I came from there. These scars I received when I made, these scars I received when I made the way. You ask me if I know the way? Before I came, there was no way. I am the way. Praise God that there is help for today. Right? There is help for salvation. Right? Anyone, anyone that wants to have forgiveness of sins, anyone that wants to have a relationship with God, their creator, right? Jesus Christ is the way. He came from there and he provided a way for us to be saved. There's no greater help for today than that. That we can have salvation, that we can be saved from our sins. But not only that, there's not only help for salvation today, but there's help for service. Right? There's help for service. The thir- first thing I want to look at when it comes to his help with service is that he will actually honor us. He will honor us. If you look at uh, verse 12, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. I really think that this whole chapter hinges on verse 6. Right? That uh, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I believe now Jesus goes and expounds on that. Okay? I believe that Christ, um, he expounds on how he is the way to the Father in verses 7 through 14. Okay? He then, uh, Christ explains how he is the truth about the Father, verses 15 to 17. And then he's going to expound how Christ right, is the life that we share with the Father verses 18 to 24. Okay. And so, not only, right, when, when Jesus says, listen, I am the way, right, not only has he made known to us the Father by doing good works and speaking the words which the Father spoke through him, but in all this, Jesus actually becomes a pattern for us. Right? Look at verse 10. Okay? It says here, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. That's an amazing statement, right? Um, Certainly it's a wonderful pattern example for us of of Jesus' obedience to the Father, right? Not going outside of his Father's will. But I think it's important for us to understand is Jesus is not representing himself as some mindless machine right, through which the Father expressed himself, okay, they were indeed the Father's words and works, right, and their source was the Father's initiative and power, right, but Christ, right, Jesus Christ personally and knowingly, he used his own lips to speak those words, he used his own hands to do those works, Look at, uh, again, what I just read here in verse 12, just the first part here. 
Jesus says, right, that the works that I do, you're going to do also. Okay? And so the Lord Jesus genuinely means that the believer will himself do the works. Right? The believer, just like Christ, will not be simply a machine which Christ uses. Right? They're going to be your words. They're going to be your hands. But... Right? At the same time, it will be Christ who does those works in and through the believer. Verses 13 and 14 says this, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The, The believer's relationship, right, in Christ's will, will be patterned on that between Christ and the Father. The second part of verse 12, right? He not only says that you're going to do um, the works as well, but he says, and greater they're going to be. It's amazing that God would honor us, right? When it comes to service, that not only will he allow us to do works (laughs) for him, right? That God, that, that the Lord Jesus himself, right? He is going to work in and through you and I. But those works will even be greater than his works. John, how is that possible? Right? right? How, how is it that the works that we do here in service for him, how can they be greater than the works of him? And this is what Jesus says. Right? I think, right, that the Lord Jesus, he means this. Is remember when Jesus Christ, right, was here on earth, he limited himself to being at only one place at one time. Okay? Certainly Jesus, right, we know if he healed people, right, uh, by saying the word, across places, right? But there is no record of his ever being and speaking in two places at once. We don't ever read of that, okay? Jesus Christ limited himself to one place at one time, okay? You see, what he's saying, though, is after his ascension, there was no longer any such limitation. You see, now thousands of, Millions of believers all around the world can simultaneously pray to the Father in Christ's name. And Christ now can put all the answers to their prayers into effect by working simultaneously through all those believers. And so in that way, right, the works will be greater than those of Christ, numerically speaking. Right? Consider all those who right now are praying to the Father in Christ's name. The works that are taking place because of that. It's astounding. You think of all all the the things that are going on right now. Certainly greater as far as numerically. But I wonder if it's even greater, not just quantity, but even quality. I think that actually the works that we do are greater even quality um, as well. You see, from, from Pentecost, right, onward, Right? The risen Lord has spoken through his servants. And as a result, each one of us that are here, right? Someone spoke to you, most likely, right? God spoke through someone, right? And as a result, what did you do? You believed, right? You heard the word of truth, right? God used something or someone, right? And you heard it and you believed. And as a result, you received the Holy Spirit. You see, certainly, I mean, the Lord Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, 
that is amazing. That is great. But think about how many people, right, who, as Jesus speaks in and through a believer, they not receive physical life, they now receive spiritual life. Peter says it this way. He says, as I began to speak, he said, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Okay? He understood. That's when he remembered what Jesus said. Hey, listen, John the Baptist baptized with water. You're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You see, nothing like this is ever recorded as ever happening when Jesus preached on earth. But now, as brothers and sisters, as different members of the body of Christ, as you are yielding to Christ and He is speaking in and through you, right? Simultaneously, all over the world, right? There are those as a result of that who are receiving eternal life. (laughs) Not just a resurrection of a physical body, but they're actually receiving the Holy Spirit inside them. And so these, I think, are the greater works which the risen Lord has honored us with, right? And has been doing through us. It's a tremendous thing. And so there is help for today. And the first thing is that He will honor us. But then you see in verses 13 and 14, which I already read, right? That He hears us. He doesn't just honor us, right? He actually hears us. And not only that, we see that He will help us. He will help us. Now, Christ's promise here, right? To do whatever we ask the Father in His name, must be read strictly in this context. right? It is no guarantee that we shall receive whatever we decide we would like to have. Our asking must be in His name. right? And what that means is our asking must be consistent with His character. right? Our asking must be consistent with His declared purpose. Our asking must be consistent with his interests. When Christ does what we ask, it will always be with this purpose. Verse 13, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Listen, brothers and sisters, I do not want these limitations to diminish at all what Christ is teaching here, the wonder of what Christ is teaching here. Okay? It is amazing to me to consider how the Father and the Son would take a frail vessel of mortal clay, such as me, that He would cleanse me, that He would sanctify me, and then with my cooperation, work through me to make His glory known. It's amazing. And so there's help for today. Right? Even in an hour of uncertainty, right? There is help for today. Right? But there's not only help for salvation, not only help for service, but we see there's help for surrender. In these verses to follow, right? Jesus speaks of the area of our surrender to His authority. He declares that our surrender to Him should be based in love. And he shares two great truths, right? That must not go unnoticed, right? In verses 15, in verse 21, in verse 24, the first is the proof of his love, right? Or the proof of love, I'm sorry. 
right? Jesus makes it crystal clear that our obedience to him and his word is the absolute proof of our love to him. Our lips can say what they please, but until our lives match our lips, we are only deceiving ourselves. The proof of love is that we do what he commands. We say we love God, but we, how do we not do what he tells us to do? Right? That's the proof of love, he says. Right? But not only that, right? it's the promise of love. Okay? And I want to get into this later, but the, the promise to those who are obedient to the Lord Jesus and his will for their lives It's an amazing promise. He says that he and his father will manifest themselves to him. So if you love Jesus, if you love God, you will obey him. Right? But Jesus says, hey, listen too. And if you obey me, the father and I, we are actually going to make ourselves known to you. We're going to reveal ourselves to you. We're going to, we're going to, show ourselves to you. And so there's help for surrender. But we're going to get into that a little bit too, this, this promise of love. And then we have this whole discourse here on help in the Spirit. Right? There's not only help for salvation and help for service and help for surrender, but there's help in the Spirit too. Right? Jesus goes on to, many of these verses tell of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we're given several truths about Him, about the Holy Spirit and His ministry to believers that need to be looked into today. The first one is His person. Right? His person. Right? Three things we'll look at regarding His person is one, His title. His title. It's interesting that the Lord Jesus calls Him the Helper, right? Or the Comforter. Uh, Many of you know in the Greek it's the, the Parakletos, Right? It means someone who comes alongside to another to offer aid and comfort. Okay? It carries the, the, the same idea as an advocate right, or a lawyer. Okay? That's the title of the Holy Spirit. Okay? He is a comforter. He is someone who comes alongside to offer aid and, and, um, and help. Right? But not only that, but we see in Jesus' words here his temperament, right? his personality. Right? When Jesus says, hey, I will send another... That word another literally means another of the same kind and quality. You see, Jesus was a comforter himself, wasn't he? Okay? But the Spirit of God is another comforter, right? He, in other words, Jesus is saying, the one I'm going to send you, he is one just like me. Just like me. You know, Jesus, imagine these, these guys again in this hour of uncertainty, how encouraging that was to have their rabbi, to have their their master, their Jesus, the one they love, say, listen, I'm going away, right? But I'm going to send you one who is just like me. Just like me. Another. And last thing we see here in verse 17, not only his title and his temperament, but his turn. His turn. It says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you when jesus came to this earth he he dwelt with the disciples he was with the disciples and now he was going to leave right and the holy spirit it's his turn now the spirit of god was going to be his turn to not just come and be with them 
But Jesus says he's going to dwell in you. You think of how many times when the disciples were not with Jesus, right? For whatever reasons, maybe when he was at the well and they went into town to get stuff, or the time when they were trying to cast out demons and they couldn't do so, right? There were times when they weren't with him or he sent them out in a boat, right? Physically, that is. She says, listen, I'm sending a comforter. He's just like me and he's actually going to be in you. Not just with you. He's going to be in you. And so we read some, uh, some amazing truths regarding the person of the Holy Spirit. But not only His person, but we read about His permanent. Right? In verse 16, the second half, it says that He, will, uh, that he may abide with you forever. Oh, right? right? That's why David could say, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Lord Jesus, amazing truth about the Spirit of God here. He says, listen, He will abide with you forever. Forever, his permanence. And then, of course, he talks about his purpose, right? His purpose is that these verses tell about the, the, his plans for us, right? And his purpose in coming into us at conversion. In verse 17, we, we see that he's going, one of the purposes to come is to indwell in us, right? Uh, but another purpose we see in verse 26, right, is one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to instruct us, right? Jesus was their rabbi. Okay? That's what he did. He taught them. right? They were his disciples, his students. And so the Lord Jesus says, listen, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is he's going to continue to instruct you. He's going to teach you. But even more so, I love in verse 26 too, is one of the purposes of the Spirit was to inspire them, to encourage them. right? And so we see some tremendous truths about the Holy Spirit regarding his person and his permanence and his purpose. And so why is Christ telling these disciples this? Right? Here they are in the upper room. They're just about to leave. And uh, after all he's told them, I'm sure he knew. He knew that their hearts were troubled. Or else he wouldn't have said, let not your hearts be troubled. And so then he goes on to say about this discourse with oneness with the Father and the, the Holy Spirit that he would send. I, I think what Christ is trying to tell them is this, is that Though he was leaving them physically, right, he would still sustain them, right, at the spiritual level, continuing to share his life with them. Remember, as I said, really, um, it seems to me that Jesus expounds on these three things. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and, and one of the things that we have to understand is, is um, I, I think more than just um, some doctrines, and certainly there are some doctrines here. Jesus was, was a lot more than just a bunch of doctrines. I think we have to try to grasp for our moments here is that Jesus, right, uh, he shared their lives with them. And, and, and so here are these guys, they loved him. They spent three, three and a half years with him, Right? They, they shared their lives together. And now he was going to be leaving them physically. Right? I think he's, he's, he's telling his disciples this so that they can understand. And they won't understand until it actually happens probably. But he's trying to tell them, right, that, that he's still going to share his life with them. That guy, it's not over. 
right? This life that we shared together these last three and a half years is that we're going to continue to share life together. And then even this is that he's saying from time to time, right? He goes, I want you guys to know that I'm going to manifest myself to you. Now think about if you're the disciples, right? Maybe it's just a strange thought, right? But So think about people who've lost loved ones, right? How about if your loved one, you know, right before they passed away, they say, hey, listen, you know, you hear people say, I'm going to be with you, right? But how about if they say, hey, listen, and every year at Christmas time, I'll show myself to you. You're like, well, that's kind of strange, right? But in some way, this is encouraging the disciples that Christ say, hey, listen, I'm actually going to be with you still, right? And from time to time, I'm going to actually manifest myself to you. Physically, we know that, right? But this is a tremendous thought to me, especially as we ourselves living in this hour of uncertainty, to know that Christ, right, even though He's not with us physically, right, we know that because the Spirit of God dwells in us, right? And even He says here that if we obey His commandments, right, it says the Father and I will come and live with you, right, dwell in you. And then from time to time, he is actually going to show himself or manifest himself to us. And in fact, in the context here, he tells them, hey, listen, I'm going to show myself to you, but not to the world. So again, I love the questions of these disciples in this, in this discourse, right? The first one there, hey, listen, show us the way. We don't know the way. Thomas has got a great question too. Wait a minute. How are you going to manifest yourself to us and not the world? I don't, I don't get it. How is that possible? Right? I think he asks an interesting question. Right? How can it be done? How can it be done? Well, let me try to illustrate it to you this way. Right? If a man shows you a confidential letter, right, that he received from a friend, you read the letter, right? Not knowing any of the intimate secrets or sharing any of the common interests possessed by the man and his friend. Would you be able to enter fully into the deeper significance of that letter? Of course not, right? Or even this, how about this? Uh, I have a pet dog, right? And um, my dog, if, uh, if I'm eating a, a steak at the table, guess who's sitting right next to me, right? Because she knows what that steak means. In fact, my dog, just like me, has a, st- a stomach, and my dog actually knows what hunger is, right? And so she's sitting there, interested in the steak that I'm eating, right? But if I showed my dog a painting of a famous artist, I'd care less about that. In fact, she might sniff it. She might lick it. She might even bite it, right? You see... The artist, by his painting, reveals his thoughts, right? Uh, In sense of beauty to you. But my dog, though she can see the painting, right? Does not receive the artist's revelation. She can't comprehend it. And this is what the Lord Jesus is telling his disciples. Listen, I'm going to manifest myself to you from time to time, right? Um, The world's not going to get it. But you're going to get it. And we see that even, right? We see even, even after his resurrection, he gives us three amazing examples of that. Okay? Um, but 
So in, in giving us the Holy Spirit, Christ has opened our eyes, right, to see a world of meaning, a, a world of significance and delight to which the unregenerate man, they cannot see it, right? They're completely dead. They can't see it. And so from time to time, Christ will manifest himself to us spiritually. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you look at uh, the Lord Jesus here after his resurrection, there's at least three, which I think is very interesting, where he shows himself to his disciples. The first was the road to Emmaus, right? Here are these two guys. They're leaving Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus. And here Jesus appears to them. Do they know who he is? They don't know who he is. And here in this context, right, in the road to Emmaus, Jesus expounds to them the scriptures, <laughs> right? He goes through the Bible, showing them all the prophets and all the things of the Old Testament that pointed towards Christ. They appeal to him to stay longer with them. They stay, and in the breaking of the bread, they recognize who he is, right? He shows himself to them. He manifests himself in that special way right there. Okay, Then we have Mary, right? Mary, there she is at the tomb, grieving, right? Then Jesus again appears, and she doesn't recognize Him, does she? Until later when He says Mary, right? She recognizes who He is, and He manifests Himself to her. And then, of course, we've got the, the disciples out in the boat fishing. They just finished night fishing, and some guy on the beach says, hey, how you guys do last night? Eh, not too well. He's like, listen, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Now at that point, I don't know if they're like, that's strange. That's I remember another guy that once told us that. Right? But it wasn't right. Remember, it was one of the disciples who told Simon, hey, once they pulled the net up full of fish, they said, Simon, it's the Lord. Christ does that for us as well. Even in our hours of uncertainty, right? Christ says, hey, listen, I'm going to be in you, right? And at times, I'm going to manifest myself to you in a special way. And if you look at those three examples there, it's amazing that sometimes he'll do it in our studies, right? Just as those men were walking and he expounded the scriptures to them, God will do that for you. As you sit down and you open up the word and you study God's word, he will actually manifest himself to you. Sometimes it's in our moments of grief, isn't it? Like Mary. It's in those moments Christ will manifest himself to you. And sometimes it's just in our everyday duties, like with the disciples in the boat, right? That Christ wants to come and manifest himself to you in a special way. There is help for today. He comes to us and he manifests himself to us, okay, in a way that is overwhelmingly real to our hearts. That's what he does for us. And this is what he was doing for his disciples at this time. The last part of this chapter, I'll just give you the, the bullet points, all right, because we're out of time. But here he's closing, right? They're actually gonna, they're in the upper room, right? And now they're leaving the upper room and they're going to be walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And so as they're, as they're leaving here, he leaves them with these four things, right? Four things, again, telling them, listen, I'm going to be leaving you physically, okay? But I'm giving you the Spirit of God. You're going to have the Spirit of God with you, a comforter, right? One who's just like me, 
It's going to be his turn now to dwell in you. Right? And because of that, he says in verses 25 and 26 that you can now have a cause for confidence. Okay? Specifically, confidence in learning. Learning. Again, I don't know if that's applicable to you guys here. Like, some people feel like they can't learn the things of God. You can. You can. And he's telling his disciples, hey, listen, guys, I'm leaving you. Okay? But you can still learn. Okay? You can have a, a cause for confidence. Okay? You have the Spirit of God in you and no need for man to teach you. You have the Spirit of God in you. And so you're going to have confidence in learning. But not only that, he says, you're going to have a source of serenity. Okay? You're actually going to have peace amidst life's battles and storms. He promises him that. Okay? He's going to be the source of that. No matter what's going to come their way, the martyrdom that they're going to face and all the other persecution they're going to face, he's like, listen, the peace that I give you is not like the world gives you. It's the peace that I give you. But not only that, then he says, and I'm, I'm going to give you a reason to rejoice. A reason to rejoice. In verse 28, right? He talks about there a never-failing source of joy. Right? And then lastly, he's going to give them grounds for glory. Here he talks about in the last two verses, 30 and 31, an assurance of victory. I love that where he says, um, what does it say here at the end? He says, uh, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. We know we talking about Satan. He says, and he has nothing in me. <laughs> okay? There's an assurance of victory, he tells them. He's like, listen, don't worry. This is all part of the plan. This is all part of the plan. And so, again, we have, even in this hour of uncertainty, we have a hope for tomorrow. Okay? We have a hope for tomorrow, but we also have help for today. We have help for today that the Lord Jesus gives us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much again uh, for these words of your son in the last evening with his disciples. We're so thankful how these words that he gave his disciples, he knew that his church would be reading them and studying them in years to come. And we're so thankful for the encouragement that they are to us. Um, Lord, certainly for many, the future seems bleak. Uh, so we're thankful for those of us who are believers uh, that we can actually um, have a hope uh, for the future. And we're also so grateful that because we have the Spirit of God in us, um, the, the little times where you manifest yourself to us, uh, we're so thankful for just how real that is to us, where the world today, they can't understand that. They can't understand how you just kind of make yourself real to us in these everyday moments of our lives. We're so thankful for that. And uh, certainly may it be a help for us today uh, in just the various things that are going on uh, in our world today. So thank you for these words of hope in a hopeless hour. And we give you thanks and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go down and then...